on the evening of that first day of the week, where the doors were locked, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Today on this Feast of Pentecost, we celebrate the birthday of the church, of how our Lord was raised up from the dead. And for 40 days, he went from place to place, appearing in various times to his disciples, to be able to speak to them a word of peace, a word of consolation, to be able to strengthen them for the ministry that they were soon to have to take up, because our Lord was leaving. Last weekend, we celebrated the ascension of our Lord when he ascended into heaven. Again, not to distance himself from us, but to be able to draw close to us and to give us power. To give us his power, that he might be able to work through us, work through the church, to be able to continue the mission that was his. And so after nine days, praying for the gift of the Holy Spirit to descend, he comes in tongues of fire and great wind. In those nine short days, the apostles go and they are birthed forth into a church. It's no longer Jesus who has the mission to go and to proclaim the good news, to forgive sins and to work miracles. Rather, it's the twelve, those who were chosen, and with them, the rest of the church, to be able to go forth and to do what was Christ's. It was Christ himself who said, as the Father sends me, so I send you. A recognition of a change of the way in which things would, have, would work from then on. It's Christ who gives the power to the church. And it's on account of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, we have nothing. Did you catch that? It was right in the middle of the, of the sequence we just sang. In your absence... We have not. Without you, nothing. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, we are completely and utterly lost. Because when we rely upon ourselves, we fail. But when we allow Christ our strength to be with us and to give us his Holy Spirit, to give us his power, things take place which otherwise would not have. And so we rely upon this gift of the Holy Spirit And that's why we invoke him over and over and over again in the hymn. Come, O Holy Spirit, come. Ten times we said it. To allow the Holy Spirit to come and truly to light us on fire with his love. Every one of us who's received the gift of baptism has already received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He came to us. And he comes to dwell in our soul. He remains with us always. The indwelling of the Blessed Trinity as they call it in theological terms. The Spirit dwells in our souls. And what a gift. What a joy to be able to know that. 
and he is with us always. In the course of the Christian life, the Holy Spirit comes and he appears in various ways. We hear him described in the scriptures as a whole, at least a half dozen, if if not more, uh, different ways in which the Spirit is made manifest. And on that account, we sometimes don't know exactly what to do with him. But today, he gives us three examples from the life of the church to be able to encourage us and to allow us to reflect on this gift of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. The Spirit comes to us. He ascended on the disciples, and he continues to come to us in these three ways predominantly. First, in the tongues of fire. Secondly, in the great wind. And thirdly, as living water. Fire, wind, and water. The elements, huh? And yet these are the way that the Lord speaks to us. These are the way that he comes to us, to be with us. Each of those three elements has a nourishing element to it. A way in which gives us life. But all three of those we also know can destroy. And the Holy Spirit does the same. Water is needed for us. We have to have water to have life. We, go without, we can go without food for a good long while, but you can't go long without water. You have to have water to live. And so water is a nourishing thing for us. But we also know from various accounts that water, when it comes in great amounts, it has a tremendous capacity to destroy, to take life. Floods that happen here in our own, our own area as well as throughout the world. If how water comes to destroy... So too with wind. We like wind, especially when it gets nice and warm in the summers and it gets a little humid out as it's starting to get now. We're getting the first fruits of summer. And who of us doesn't enjoy a good wind, a nice breeze to cool things off a bit in the midst of the heat? And yet we know, too, that when wind becomes too strong, we have another destructive power, hurricanes and tornadoes and such. They're, too, a destruction. And lastly, in fire. We all love a good fire to sit around. It brings enjoyment, community. In the winters, occasionally warmth. But fire, too, has the ability to consume and to destroy whatever it touches. It's appropriate that these images are employed by the Holy Spirit himself. Because the Holy Spirit is both life-giving and destructive. He's life-giving because he comes to us to give us the living water himself. He comes to be able to breathe life into us, to set us on fire with the love of God, to dwell with us so that we might be able to rely upon the the strength of the Lord and to press forward in living the gospel and carrying out the mission of Jesus. And to those places in us that are not suited to that task, places of sin, places of darkness, the Holy Spirit also comes with this destroying power to cast out evil, to quench it, to consume it, to crush it. He is life-giving, and he has the power to destroy. And so we rely upon this Holy Spirit in profound ways. And he comes to be able to make his life within us. Again, we're speaking of the Holy Spirit who dwells in our soul. And just the same as, as plants grow and they have life growing within them, So too, the soul, 
In the life of the church, one of the great images that's been used for the human soul, the human person, is that of a tree. We think of a tree, and when we think of it, it becomes in, in different, different sections, different portions of it, and they represent different pieces of the human person, particularly in the spiritual life. The soil, the ground, is the Lord. Every single one of us knows you pull up a tree, it doesn't live. If a storm knocks over a tree and the roots are exposed, it dies. And the same with us. When we're separated from our Lord, when our roots are pulled up and separated from He who gives us life, there's nothing good that comes from it. There's only death. Quicker or slower, as the case may be, but an imminent death nonetheless. The trunk of the tree for us as Christians, are the theological virtues, those virtues that lead us to God, is essentially all they are, faith, hope, and love. Those three virtues direct our heart. They, they point us directly to God because our faith is in him, our hope is in him, and is he who is love itself. And so that is the foundation, the trunk of the tree, the necessary first piece We know that from the trunk of the tree, oftentimes, at least with some of the trees that branch out a bit rather than our our poor little pine trees, uh, at least a a nice oak tree, it has other branches, major shoots that split off from the trunk. And the church sees these as the cardinal virtues, the four most important of the virtues of prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. But we know that those big branches don't just produce leaves by themselves. Rather, they produce more branches, and those branches produce leaves to be able to bring fullness to the tree, and not just three or four awkward, uh, <laughs> awkward limbs out in the middle of nowhere, but rather the greatness of the branches that split off. And here we get into the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is given to each of us, again, in our baptism, But he gives himself to us also with gifts, seven gifts, wisdom and knowledge, understanding, counsel, fortitude, fear of the Lord or reverence, and piety. Every one of us has received these seven gifts, but like all of us, with any gift, we have to use it. It's easy for us to receive a gift from someone else. And maybe if it's not something we don't see an imminent use for, we kind of put it in the closet and then we realize it's there two, three, four, ten, twenty years later. <laughs> Forgot about that. And the same can happen with the Holy Spirit. And how He gives us these gifts, but if we don't make use of them, they simply sit, waiting to be used. But in the meantime, they don't bear any fruit. Nothing good comes from them because there's no life in them. And so we need the branches to bring forth leaves. But every one of us also knows that if a tree is supposed to produce fruit and it doesn't, we consider it worthless. If a pecan tree doesn't produce pecans, there's a problem. And we know it. Who among us would go out into the field and see a nice uh, nice full field of, of the socks of corn and walk up and find not a single ear on them and still be happy with it? Nobody. Because we look for the fruits. And the Lord asks us, where are the fruits? To each of us, an examination of conscience is due to see what fruit are we producing in the Holy Spirit. 
if he lies within us, if, he, if he's dwelling within us, to be able to allow that to be shown. And it should be readily apparent. The 12 gifts, or the, rather the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit are also listed in the scriptures. They are charity, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, generosity, modesty, chastity, and self-control. The thing is, with these fruits, they're not something we just do ourselves. Certainly, we can have various aspects. Some of us are naturally inclined to be charitable. Some of us are naturally inclined to be joyful or to be patient with others, generous or kind. And it's good to have these natural attributes. But that's not exactly a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence. We need to have a supernatural reality to us. And it begins first with these gifts. To make use of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us. To allow him to work within us. And to know that the fruits come by themselves. They're just simple indicators that the life of the tree is good. What a blessing that the Lord would be able to look upon each of us. And to see many, many fruits. Because it's those fruits that are the life of the church. It's those fruits that nourish us and nourish others. Our family and friends who may be looking for God, who may be thirsting for God, hungering for righteousness. And they don't understand it, but they see something within us. They see the fruit and they see that it's good and they delight in it. Pray the grace of the Holy Spirit would come to be with us and to stir up within our hearts a deeper love for him and for the Father and for the Son. Indeed, we know that as we go through the course of our Christian life, we all have ups and downs, a roller coaster of sorts in the spiritual life. That sometimes our love wavers a bit for our God. But in the season of uh, this, this entering into this time of the Pentecost, it's an opportunity for us to pray again for him to come. For him to come into our hearts. He who is the fire of God. He who is the living water itself. To be able to set us on flame with love for Christ, to fill us with joy in knowing that we are now partakers in the mission of God, to go forth and to spread the good news. Indeed, come Holy Spirit.